Thanks for joining us today. This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, January 4th, and we are going to recap Notre Dame's 31-14 loss to Alabama in the playoffs and Rose Bowl in Dallas. And guys, let me just let me just ask for each of your uh, quick analyses of uh, of the game Friday night. I mean, it was disappointing in um, a handful of ways. I thought that the ones that jumped out to me were. I didn't feel like Notre Dame ever really went for it offensively. Um, and this was a game that they were going to have to get creative on fourth down. Um, you know, maybe there's a trick play in there to certainly be aggressive. And I don't, I don't feel like that ever happened. Um, I felt like the way that they played offensively made it seem like the game was tied at the start of the fourth quarter and the game had already been decided by that point. It was too late um, to keep playing ball control offense like that. So that was, that was disappointing. And then it was just, I think it was a reminder that um, today's recruiting is tomorrow's game plan because you go back and look at the defensive backs that Notre Dame signed in the recruiting class of 2017 and 2018, it's Derek Allen, DJ Brown, Tariq Bracey, Noah Boykin. And you're going to try to defend Alabama with that. Like that, that was never, ever, ever going to work. And that, that does not, to me, that has nothing to do with, or very little to do with Notre Dame's recruiting restrictions, or who they can target. Um, that to me is just, that's bad talent accumulation at a really, really important position. Yeah, I thought, I agree with Pete. I thought two things let them down. One was clearly going to let them down. We started talking about it in November, harped on it in December, and hammered it home for two weeks, was that the back line was going was gonna to eventually collapse. And by eventually, this time it was the first two series rather than the third and fourth quarter is what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I had no hope, no faith whatsoever in the secondary to hold up against Alabama. I did hold out hope that the offense would find that balance of, look, we are a running team that's physical. But we gotta take shots because we can't beat Alabama if we don't. And I think I don't think Kelly and Reese got enough credit for going 10 and 0 when they realized, you know what, these guys can't beat us if we run on second and 25 and punt. But they're getting the appropriate amount of blame for the attack or lack thereof against Alabama because you couldn't you couldn't win. You could Tim, you asked a good question. He respectfully answered it. He he took three shots. We we talked all week. You know what the book stat line was? When it was 31-7, two yards off what I said is an unacceptable stat line. When I said if he has 189 yards passing, 20 for 26 with a touchdown interception, he was two yards away from that. <laughs> I was just like, that is the one thing you can't do. So one thing was always going to happen. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do if you're Notre Dame's defensive secondary against Devontae Smith in Alabama, but I do know that I think the offense could have brought more to the table and uh, they would have lost differently. I would love to know um, just how many times a deep shot was called over the course of the season and how many times yeah. Ian Book chose not to throw it. Um, but I don't think that there were too many. If there were any called in this situation, um, I don't think it was a matter of that. Just uh, reviewing the game, I thought the game the game really ended, I guess it probably ended when they when they quick strike Notre Dame. You're, no, you're making, three. you're making a good point in that. They but when it really that. ended was when it was 21 to seven and, and Michael Mayer had, had one to two yards on a linebacker, Christian Harris. And it, I, you know, it was, it was, I'm not, it was, it looked worse on 
film than it did in person. And it looked terrible in person. It looked worse on the TV version. Um, it was that badly underthrown. You complete that pass. I don't know how far it gets. The safety is, has not shifted over there. So Mayer's going to ramble for a little bit if Harris doesn't tackle him from behind. You're in a position to make it 21-14. When that, when that ball was intercepted, the game was over, especially five plays and however many yards later because then it was 28-7. to seven. Um, I, I, I agree with you, Pete. I think, I think Notre Dame played to play it close or to try to keep the optics of how close it was. Um, and that's a tough way <laughs> to go into a playoff game. Right. I don't even think they played to try when it's not close. Did they play to try to steal it even, you know, like stealing it is different than playing close. It didn't even seem like they played to try to steal it enough. And maybe we're being too harsh on that in retrospect, but I watched the whole time thinking you've got to be kidding. This is how they're going to do this. And I never stopped thinking that. I think that's the frustrating part about, well, one of the frustrating parts about that, if you're Notre Dame is that it's not like you get to turn around and replay this next week. It, It may be two or three years. Until you play in this game again. Um, And to not take your best shot, in my opinion, is is incredibly frustrating. Um, And I I get the frustration. I mean, there were were parts of the game plan, like, offensively that I thought were good. I I liked how they tried to force the ball to Kyron Williams in the past game. Um, I liked how not only did they get the ball to Mayer, but they played off of him whether that be sort of Tackus dragging behind him or um, there was a third down play that book got hit, but he was trying to uh, Avery Davis almost got it. Um, and it was like sort of a, it was a tough play to make, but I, I just like how they they're like, all right, you're our star. Not only can we feature you, but we can play off of you. Um, Cause we haven't done that a whole lot this year. I thought that was good, but um, I mean, ultimately I, I just, tweeted out a clip of this that Notre had one tackle for loss in the first half. And it was a five yard end around to Devonta Smith in the second quarter to make that play required Jeremiah Usukoromoa to blow up a block of Najee Harris and then Kyle Hamilton to clean it up. So all it took for one tackle for loss was one first round pick to blow up a block and another first round pick to clean it up. And those are the two guys on Notre Dame's defense that Alabama would have to respect. Every everybody else, they know that they can handle. Um, so when the other nine guys on the defense have to make the play, Notre Dame was in trouble, um, and they were in trouble from the very beginning of the game. To get back to the point about trying to play it close or however you want to call it, Notre Dame was going to punt <laughs> down thirty-one to seven with three and a half minutes to go, and yeah. and I. I mean, I, I guess I kind of understand that, that the game's over and you're just trying to, to, to get off the field, but they end up calling a timeout, going for it, converting it, and then marching down and, and, and scoring uh, to, to make it 31 to 14. Otherwise, it would have been 31 to 7. But I want to get off that and I, I want to make the point that I made in today's tale of tape. Uh, having watched the game, and, and it's not a cop out, but when we're at the game, we're dealing as writers, we're dealing with so many optics and so many issues in our head. And and most of it is how are we going to formulate what we're going to say and what we're going to write that you don't always get a full conceptualization of what's happening on the field. I'm not saying I didn't see this when I was there, but having rewatched the game, Nording's physicality from start to finish absolutely belonged on that field. And as the game wore on defensively the last two and a half quarters, and I still think that Alabama pulled back the reins, to what extent 
you know, I can't say for sure, but they didn't have a sense of urgency offensively anymore because they didn't have to. But Notre Dame started winning the battle with that great Alabama offensive line. I thought Notre Dame's backup defensive line played its ass off in, in the second half. Uh, they hung with them physically. And so my point of all this is Brian Kelly's tirade after the game, I reacted certainly one way at the game, and I thought, I kind of understand what he's saying here. Uh, not that that makes it better or okay for the way the first three drives that uh, Alabama had the football transpired, but they did hang with them physically, and they did continue to fight. And you hate in a playoff game to be talking about effort and fight. But when we talk about narrowing the gap, and we'll get to that in the, in the second half as well, uh, from a physicality point, they did. From an athlete standpoint, at, at key positions, they were a long way away. And I'm not sure that they, you know, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to have that kind of physicality next year, losing four starting offensive linemen. Um, Losing Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, who's, by the way, Pete, congratulations on your your story that was featured on game day. Um, you know, losing a guy of that magnitude. Fortunately, Kyle Hamilton's a sophomore, not a junior. I'm not sure that they're going to be able. They may make up ground at the skill positions, but may give up something in the trenches in return. So it it's probably going to be a couple of years before Notre Dame can contend for for a playoff spot again. Tim, you mentioned pull back the reins to whatever extent. I feel they did the same thing Notre Dame did when they knew they would beat teams. They were ahead comfortably, 21-7, and they thought, well, just don't don't screw this up completely. I mean, we're going to attack, but let's not. play clock more. I use it. I mean, Um, they they certainly weren't pressing the issue in the passing game after the first drive. The issue issue I have with it, and I agree about the trenches, the beginning of it counts so much. Getting jumped on by Alabama counts so much. It doesn't allow being even in the trenches to matter. You know, you remember Brian Kelly's second year, we're all out in Palo Alto and it was 21, nothing good Stanford team. Not quite as good as Alabama. It was 21, nothing. The questions afterwards are, you know, did you, what happened here? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what do you mean? What happened? We were just as physical as them. Did you watch the second half? I did. It matters so much more what happened in the first than how much you fought in the second. And I, that's how I took it. Um, I don't blame him for being exasperated because I would be exasperated too. And he pointed out the things, look, we are, we are, we battled them in the trenches. We didn't do that last time. I wish I could say that. It mattered so much what happened early in this game. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. You can't, and you can't look at the game in isolated incident, you know, parts of it. You have, you have to look at the, Entire 60 minutes. And I wish I could say if I were in his position, I would show, show more calm and, and reserve and not explode like that. But I know I would. Uh, but I don't think it plays very well. Well, again, we'll talk about that in the second segment. But let's move on quickly. Um, I'm not sure we're going to have enough time to fit everything we want in segment one. So some of this is going to spill into segment two before we get into questions. I want to talk about – in se- we'll start segment two talking about the coming and going or the staying and going of personnel, but let's address the defensive coordinator situation. Tom Loy from 24 seven sports slash Irish Illustrated reported last night. I think he, yeah, it was as early as last night that Brian Kelly would be having a conversation with Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. Now, mind you, that's not an interview, right? That's a, that's a conversation to lead to an interview. So I don't think that anything is guaranteed there. And I think we've heard, 
things like this in the past that don't actually lead to an interview. But Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati, um, you know, Pete, you were the first one to mention Elko, and I kind of jumped on it before, uh, after that. Uh, I know a lot of people feel that that's unrealistic because of the way he left Notre Dame. We can get into that a little bit further. And then uh, Mike Elston, um, you know, within the staff, I think we're all hearing that if Mike Elston isn't defensive coordinator in Notre Dame, it might be somewhere else next year. So um, just your thoughts on on where that search is headed. Uh, I mean, from what I can gather on the Marcus Freeman front, yes, Zoom call today, and then it sounds likely if that goes well that he'll get to campus either tomorrow or Thursday. Um, so that could be coming up quickly. Um, also, you know, worth noting there is that uh, he is supposed to go to LSU on Wednesday, may also stop at Auburn. Um, Texas and Michigan have also reached out. So <laughs> a little I mean, bit of competition I there. Mean, this is what Brian Kelly sort of said on Thursday, the day before the game. It's like, we got to move fast on DC. If you're, if you're going to get, you know, one of the higher end sort of free agent types, um, you got to move. And on top of all this, there's no guarantee that Freeman will leave Cincinnati, even if he has multiple offers to do so. Um, you know, he's not, he's not looking to leave. Uh, he needs to be convinced that leaving makes sense for his own coaching career to be a head coach. So that's, that's sort of the state of play on that. I mean, Elston, you know, look, I've heard the same things. Um, you know, he's got, you know, the potential to go to a place like Purdue, um, you know, kind of a mid-level power five DC job, I think is kind of going to be in the offing for him somewhere if he wants it. Um, and then also it's kind of like a, maybe a throw in bit, but I was told late last night that Nick Lazinski does not have uh, a, an offer to go with, with Clark Lee to Vanderbilt. Um, and so, you know, that's not, not that that would factor into your DC decision, but at some point you're gonna have to have our new linebackers coach. If your DC isn't your linebackers coach and Nick Lazinski probably will be on still on staff at that point. And, and further thoughts on Elko since we first discussed this a, a little while but back for me, unchanged, like I don't, ego is not going to get in the way. Um, you know, Fan message board reaction is not going to get in the way of, of any decision Brian Kelly really? makes there. I thought for and sure it would. I mean, I've tried to – I'm sure we talked about this on our, our previous podcast, and I've written about it. Like, for how bad of terms Elko left with uh, fans, he, that bridge was quickly mended with Brian Kelly. Um, you know, they – I wouldn't say that they're, they're close necessarily, but they're cordial. Um, you know, I think there are, there are coaches who have left Brian Kelly – who there is no relationship at all after that happens. But Mike Elko is not one of those situations. Um, briefly on Elko, I would just, I just think the money would have something to do with him not being here, matching that money at this point. But to put a finer point on what you said, Pete, about Freeman, when he was off the Michigan State job, I think he correctly thought that doesn't get me closer to being a head coach, staying in Cincinnati does. The six teams you just mentioned – for a year or two, gets him closer to becoming a head coach. Yeah, those are. That's those are why I feel like it's hard for him to say, I can turn down Michigan State for Cincinnati, but LSU and Notre Dame and Michigan, Texas, I mean, those are harder to turn down. Oh, Cincinnati. yeah, for sure. He is a one or two year rental, but you know what? All good Who ones. Who isn't? Oh, I was about to say, if you're great, you're a two year at most. Yeah. Clark Lee, the only reason Clark Lee was a three years because he totally had to prove himself the first year. Right. He was as new as you could be. It was just, and, and Boston College decided they wanted Jeff Halfley more than him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if Boston College 
Boston College is the reason Clark Lee was DC for three years, not Clark Lee. Um, so I mean, that's if you get two really great years out of Marcus Freeman, uh, you're, you're rebuilding in year one. Maybe you you push the envelope in year two. Right. And God knows the roster he would leave behind is going to be really talented based on his recruiting ability. Well, in 2023 is the target. I mean, we keep saying one, two, three. 2023's roster plus schedule looks way better than the next two. Yeah. Yes, 100%. All right, let's come back. Segment two, we'll start by talking about personnel coming and going or staying and going right after this. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards, a little bit of a curveball here. We're going to start with what we wanted to hit in segment one, and that is the players that will be leaving the program, guys that we knew, uh, some that we didn't know, including apparently Houston Griffith, according to Pete Thamel, uh, as, we're, uh, as we were about to record this. But guys that we already knew were in the transfer portal, uh, Jafar Armstrong, Jamir Smith, Isaiah Rutherford, and now Houston Griffith. And then I'm just going to read these names because these are the guys that got Notre Dame to the playoffs, mostly. Aaron Banks, Brock Wright, possibly Tommy Tremble, Javon McKinley, Ben Skoranek, Liam Eikenberg, Tommy Kramer, Robert Hainsey, Ian Book. That's just offense right there. Hopefully Notre Dame convince, can convince Tommy Tremble to come back. And then defensively, Dalen Hayes, who I heard played in the game, but I didn't see him once it started. Ade Ogundeji, Nick McLeod, Sean Crawford. Who am I missing? Jeremiah Usu Koromo is a good linebacker on the team. Did I not? I must have just skipped. <laughs> 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 I had him out of sequence there. Yeah, he's a pretty good player too. So they're losing a lot. And um, we reported uh, yesterday – Day before, I'm having trouble keeping days straight here with traveling and, and weekends the way they were. But uh, Kurt Heinisch will return for an additional year. He was would have been out of eligibility, but with the NCAA granting a COVID year, it appears that Kurt Heinisch will be back. So um, that's a lot of talent, and I'm not sure the Notre Dame's ready to make all that talent up. No, and not that he was supposed to leave, but MTA will be back as well. Um, when I heard about Heinish and, and, and yeah, um, I mean, I, I guess would, I always assumed that he I always was assumed because he, he had, he had years. the extra year. He's made his intentions known. To yeah. Him. But uh, yeah, Tremble's the one now, right? That's the person you need to, uh, you know, we say convince because he is a guy that you could convince it's better for him to return to Notre Dame as opposed to leave. Sometimes like Troy Nicholas could have been convinced it was better to return if he, if he wanted to. He, of course, famously talked about uh, his second contract and getting that money and he thought that he did something wrong. He, he got that money. But uh you know, guys like Quentin Nelson and Jeremiah Usakorvoa, you don't convince them to stay. So someone like Tommy Tremble, you talk to them about the options of coming back. Yeah, I think that Tremble, uh, you know, I, I am very reluctant to be like, it would be a mistake or you should leave because it's not my decision. It's not um, your career, is it? Right, right. But I think in terms of like where Tommy Tremble is in his career, I don't think it makes really any sense for him to leave. Um, I don't, I, when, I know you guys have, been talking about this for a little bit but i i cannot get my head around why the finances of tommy tremble leaving makes sense um oh, but he had in his head 
I mean, we were saying this before the season started, yeah, before the season began. but he had in his head that this would be a huge year for him catching the football. And it wasn't. And it would and it would have been had some guy named Michael Mayer not come along. And, and I do, you know, I mean, from his perspective, two things. One, he needs to catch the football better. You can't double clutch half of the throws thrown your way. But I can understand, I mean, considering how much 12 personnel they use and how much he was on the field, I could understand where he would think, you know, you can at least target me a little bit more. And I would imagine that Tommy Reese is Tommy Reese is, is known for his great communication with his players. It's a great opportunity for him to say to convince Tommy Tremble, look, stick around. I've got some stuff here for you. We're gonna we're gonna showcase both you and Mayor, and it'll be in your best interest professionally for you to come back for the 2021 season. Yeah, I, th- I just think there's so much upside for him from a, a draft slotting potential. I think you're going from like a mid-late round pick to if then. You know, you could develop into the flex tight end that everybody wants. Right now, he's he's a capable blocker in space, but it's very suspect catching the ball. Like, I would think that that, that would be the easiest thing. to. It would be easier. I think it's easier to improve your skills as a receiving threat than it is as a blocker because um, he's great as a blocker and just needs to get on the jugs gun and play pitch and catch with Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine or whoever else is around to throw him the ball and get that worked out. Be a pretty big part of the offense next year. In the total yeah. The feature, he'd yeah. Everything. I mean, he's, he's already well known as one of the best blockers in college football his position. So that would be something to look into with Houston Griffith, um, three snaps against Alabama. Um, plenty of snaps before that, except for Clemson when he had six snaps. So is that the staff saying we don't Clemson the first time through? Is that the staff saying we don't uh, need to drill down to the Houston Griffith level against these two teams? Or were his intentions maybe made known before the Alabama game in that he went from, looks like 19 snaps average for the previous four games, including championship game, to three against Alabama. Yeah, and it, it certainly makes sense when Brian Kelly on the, the first signing day in December said that they could, or I don't know if it was Brian Pullian or, or who exactly at this point, but that they could add some to the, the list of the 2021 class when the February signing date comes up. I mean, they have already lost Wardlow and Franklin and Jummer Smith, um, you know, Rutherford Armstrong Griffiths. So they, I mean, they, they knew that there was, go, there were going to be spots open in addition to all the guys that I listed that, that played a significant role in, in the last couple of years. You know what? I want to correct myself. DJ Brown played four snaps, so they didn't trust either one of them for the uh, Alabama game. They just went with Hamilton and Crawford yeah. and, yeah, understandable. All right, let's jump into questions, starting with Meadowland Man. What did you guys think of Brian Kelly's postgame presser comments on the topic of how the status of Notre Dame football is viewed by the local press? <laughs> uh, there were there were parts of his postgame press conference that I thought were revealing and made sense, even if I don't necessarily agree or wanted to get sort of a little bit more in depth or a thoughtful answer on. I thought that his commentary that the local press needs to give him a pat on the back and other fans shouldn't jump off a building were completely ridiculous and like minor league. Didn't you think I thought now the second part is what the second part I completely agree with you on. I still, well, I don't still, I felt when I listened to the local press thing live that it was one of his failed attempts at facetious humor while being exasperated, being like, thank you. Somebody's giving me some credit. And like, it just was a lead balloon that didn't work out. and It was badly timed. I might be completely wrong because nobody else feels that way. I really thought I was, he was just like one of those attempts at 
well, somebody gives me some credit and it was just the worst time to say something like that as opposed to, but then with the fans and don't jump off the bridge and all that, that was a bit, there was no reason to go there, but we've talked about this before, man, 95% of the time it's polished and the 5% it's not, it is things everybody hates to hear. And this was the time when people didn't want to hear these things. Yeah. And it's difficult. I mean, under the circumstances, the pressure and the work schedule and all that. But having said that, you know, you, the flip side, you can say he makes the money that he makes. He's got to be able to keep cool. There's no, there's no, there's nothing that's productive out of, of choosing the approach that he did after the game. I, I, I just, I want to like, I thought that blowing his lid and getting aggravated and <laughs> saying like, I'm going to be terrible when we get back here and win it just terrible. Like, you know, and like, you might not like it, but like this work, like all that was great. Well, like, how it okay, been directed at me or you like, but that was good. But, but like great in great in what way? What, how, what is the benefit like that was of doing authentic that? of like, I'm sort of standing up for myself. I'm standing up for my program, standing up for our team, my players all like, he could have done a better job of it, but I was like that, that in that instance, I'm like, all right, we're getting an authentic Brian Kelly here. And I'm not going to complain about that. Cause I, that's what I want. I want to hear how he actually feels. Like I might not understand why he feels that way, but at least we're not getting this pal- this like overly polished mess. But saying like the local media is like basically out to get me. I'm like that. That is just a, a losing. So you think? So you think the players said, "Wow!" After after this, they said, "Coach has our back." You think they? You think no, they would react no, that way to I it? No, I think that was the attempt. I don't think that it worked. <laughs> I just like, it's like, I get it. Like, I'm trying to see it from his point of view. And I'm like, okay, I can sort of see where he's like, all right. I, I give him the benefit of the doubt on that. But the the jump off a building, jump off a bridge. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was like, what are you doing? That's when he can't stop talking. That's why I really think the local press thing was, I mean, I who knows? I really think the local press thing was more, was half tongue in cheek. And it's an exasperated, angry coach trying to make a bad joke at the worst possible time. Like, Could be. You know what I mean? When someone says like a congratulations goes, well, thank you. I wish somebody would have told me that before. Like it's, it, it's, it's the delivery wasn't there. If, if I'm right, it was, it was just missed. Um, you got to leave the fans out of it forever. You have to realize that when you're talking about your yeah. fan base after you just got lit up by Alabama. Now the real part I have with it, because this is preposterous is that they were close other than a few plays. It's a player yeah. from a few plays. They were close. If they had Devontae Smith, Patrick Sertain, and Justin Fields to play against what Alabama had out there, then they were close. That's the only way that was close. They weren't close on a few plays. It was 31 to 7. And Notre Dame mounted their second best drive of the game. They were in the red zone at the end of the game, not at the beginning of the game, other than the touchdown drive. Right. I think yeah, the red zone think, commentary made no sense. Yeah, I think he's adding things up. It, okay, it was 31 14, and we had two other failed red zone attempts so that's 31 28 but that's not how the game transpired like in the we missed a field goal like i'm what was it like it was a 51 yard field goal at the end of the half and it, like I mean, you know it wasn't like against clemson you'd be like yeah and we missed that field goal like yep, right. yes yes that hurt this one didn't count as like a quote-unquote missed field goal yeah i, I hope i'm right about the uh Local media, because I just the only thing I thought was like he just had a joke that didn't go over well, and then he, you know how he always snowballs for him when he starts losing the. But what I don't get is how he didn't know your question. Your, yours was after Dennis Dodds. How those two questions weren't coming. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that. I mean, you listen to it, right? Like that. 
all due respect to Dennis Dodd, who's way more successful than us. Like, but that question was garbage. It, it, uh, was. it was like it's coming though. It, it felt yeah. The the, the subject of the question was coming. The delivery was like up there with the Lewis Nick's chicken yeah. soup from a few years ago or uh, Lake and Littman's question after the Georgia game about not winning close games. The delivery was really bad. Um, and that'll and, set you off after Alabama. And he was immediately on tilt at that point. And I knew, yeah. cause I, I mean, I was going to ask what I was going to ask, but I knew as soon as Dennis's questions came out the way that I did, I was going to get an, an answer exactly like I got. Um, and I did. That was not the insight I was going for. Yeah. yeah. See now, was, Pete, yeah. you're Pete, you're you're you are local media and you're national media at one and the same. I was pretty of, sure he was referring to me about the local No, I know, no, I know, I know he was because you okay. asked the question. But you know, national media are going to ask big picture questions. I will too. But I also have stories to write and, and questions to answer. And so I already had my hand up and ready to, in the Zoom to raise a hand and ready to ask along the lines of the question I was going to ask. Yeah. I, I was certainly thinking, you better spit this out the right way because he's going to chew you up and spit you out, too, if you don't. Mm-hmm. So uh, but, you know, you're I mean, from the standpoint of national media, national media is going to answer big, big picture questions. Yeah, I mean, Dennis Dodd's not going to ask about. You know, the, he's not going to ask the the type of question that I asked. So you know about well, even even the Pete, let's say Pete was let's say Pete was just purely local media. Like Pete not isn't necessarily, and let's say we're all working together. We're not all writing game stories. Somebody right, right. Stories. Everybody's got a different responsibility well, after the game. Coming right now, you're like right. there's going to be stuff. This is not a I'll talk to you guys on Monday about these little points of the game. Well, he said he said losing is losing. That's not true. That's that's not true. If you if you lost on last last second field goal, that's one thing. Well, it's like you, you were. That's a, it's a difference between Alabama in 2012 and what he was saying was happened in 2020. Like they were both losses, but and I agree with them. Like they're completely different kinds of losses. So, like I mean, losing is not losing. Yeah, it make yeah. any sense. Well, that leads us to the next question, which is from I want to grad from ND. Explain how Notre Dame is better in 2020 than they were in 2012. I don't see it. Uh, I mean, it's a fair question. Um, you know, they're better, they're better on, they had a much better offensive line one through five. Um, you know, if you wanted to say that their, their top two linemen on the 12 team were better than our top two linemen on this team, we could have that discussion probably. Um, you know, are they better, are they better at running back? Like, but it's like, are they better at running back now than they were then? Like, I think they're the same. Um, are they better at tight end now than then? No. You know, they had the Mackey Award winner at that point. Um, you know, def- defensively. It's it's uh, different, Pete, defensively. Like, you had 12 players on that, 13 players on that team on defense. This one, they have 11 guys up front that played fairly well against Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's one difference. The other is, I, I think, I think the physicality, the overall physicality, they they withstood Alabama a lot better this time than they did last time. Although this, you know, if you're just looking at the score, you're not necessarily going to agree with that. And then Pete, I'm not sure you were on our podcast. It was one of the ones last week where I said I, every time I want to say this team's better because of the depth and everything. If I were to make a draft to go against Alabama, I would have been bringing a lot of 2012 people onto the team. Yeah, 
Yeah. I still think it's as a pro as a program as a whole, I, you know, he's he's right. As a program as a whole, they are better. They are. But they, look, they went eight and five, eight and five, twelve and one, eight and five, as opposed to ten, twelve, eleven. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That, 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 that's that's yeah. proof enough right there, isn't it? Yeah. And go Irish D. Did the coaching staff really think they could win outright? No deep shots, no trick plays. Only an onside kick when they had to. All we got was a quarterback sweep on third and long. I didn't read that part until I laughed at it. Okay. <laughs> I No, I don't think they did. No. I, I mean, I, you know, every being a, being a realist, I don't, I don't think that they did. And I think that a lot of decisions were made to make it look like it was closer than it was. I, I don't think the third down sweep, but I, they, they expected to have fourth and two and go for it clearly. Right. This is going to bust for four or five yards. Now, if you look at that play, it was, it was blocked terribly. So whatever, whatever they saw, whatever the look was, I don't question stuff like that because no, no. if he runs for a first down, we never talk about that play again. Now, it didn't even come close to hitting a first down, so I understand why we talk about it. But there was a look there that they thought, and you're probably right, Tim. They thought, okay, it's going to get us this, and we're going to go ahead and go for it. Uh, but he gave a really rough answer to that didn't. in the post game because I don't think he had one. I think he wanted to be like, yeah, we're going to go for it. And he's like, the analytics told us this and that, and then I punted it. It's like, ah, doesn't mean anything. But well, that was fourth and five. That that uh, that was not, you know. And I let me just say this, and I. Please, I'm not suggesting Notre Dame could have won, but and it was like you know it was like the the punt that um, Claypool saved from going out of bounds against Clemson, the the punt that bounced inside the five that almost hit the Alabama player. It's a seven nothing game at that point. I tell you, you what, know, that had to happen. That had to happen. It had that, to. That's happen. what we. That's what Pete previewed when he yeah. said, "How do you win the right, game?" You did say exactly. special teams turnover. <laughs> exactly. Pete's that, like, I don't you know, know how realistic it's going to be. It almost happened, Pete. <laughs> you've got to have a break like that. Notre Dame ties at 7-7. Instead of a minute later, it's 14 nothing. Yeah, because then you can play your style of offense. Right, 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 right. You can uh, run quarterback sweeps till you're blue in the face if it's 7-7. Seven to seven. Yeah. But you I know. don't think – I really no, I don't think that they – I mean, the rest of the nation didn't think they could win. They're realists too. I, You know, they have a plan how we can execute and pull it off, but – Truly believe it. Yeah, you have to. You have to be a little bit delusional with yourself to think that you. We got a good chance of winning this game. No, we got a chance. Yeah. Who, who JND fan? Who goes and who stays on the coaching staff? Drakes. Um, I think Terry Joseph could leave. Uh, maybe to LSU. And I think Taylor could leave to. Just with the rumors of Reese of, of late for Vanderbilt. With uh, no Van, yeah. Vanderbilt has hired a running backs coach. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Uh, well, I think we, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's well, got to be risky, but he's a running back. Yeah. But he's a running back. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, Norval McKenzie is from. He was at Louisville and played with Cartley at Vanderbilt. He's their running backs coach. And I believe that if, I mean, I think there's a really good chance that Mike Elson's a, a defensive coordinator next year wherever that may be. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, oh, but including Notre Dame possibly. Yeah. Notre Dame Dame. Or Purdue is a, is, is a definite possibility. Yeah. I don't, and I look, I, I don't know how um, Dell Alexander is perceived by Brian Kelly. Like we don't really know much about that, um, but I would just, the receiver position is kind of spotty right now. Uh, and that 
that got a pretty big spotlight the last two games. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what, where that goes. Um, but yeah, I would, I'm, I'm not sure how much of that blame I'd put on Dell Alexander, but I, I, I agree with you, you know, that Dell Alexander could be coaching somewhere but else. It's, next you year. know, it's been recruited fairly well the last couple of years, but you know, we haven't seen those young guys be ready to go. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure what. You got to play young might. next year at receiver. Don't have a choice. DMJ underscore 23. What's the makeup of the offensive line next year with Banks also leaving? There's a second part to the question. I'll get to that after we answer that. I mean, we think the it's going to be Patterson left tackle, Lug right tackle, and Correll at center, right? I yeah. think that makes the most sense. I mean, Lug's uh, best position's right tackle. Um, they don't love him at guard. Tim talked about that last year. He just, I mean, his best chance to rotate in this year was guard for Kramer, not for Hainsey or Eckenberg. Right. Uh, and then you have, yeah, what's good. Then you got to figure out who your, uh, who your guards are. You have really, really impressed with Zeke Corral. Really impressed with Zeke yes. Corral. He, yeah. he, yeah. he handled uh, DJ Dale and, and Tim Smith. He, he, I mean, rarely gave an inch, usually got a push aggressive, proactive. I mean, the guy, the kids made two starts, the second one against Alabama and he is absolutely one of your best offensive linemen right now. So just from talking to offensive coordinators past, present, and others, don't you think Quinn Carroll gets a shot at guard now? I would big. imagine. I mean, look, if they're, if mass is yeah. um, a significant trait that you want in a guard next year, then Quinn Carroll would, Quinn Carroll would get a look over pretty much every other guard on the team, I think. Well, there's Dylan Gibbons too. I think Banks leaving just about assures that they, that Dylan Gibbons comes back for a fifth. We know he wants it. We know, we know. Yeah. I'm just saying like if Quinn Carroll can move after the ACL, he's, he's got a lot more mass to him and size than Dylan Gibbons does. But still Um, need another guard though. Well, yeah, there's still, they still need another guard now. I mean, I, 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 I love Rocco Spindler enough to think that he's in competition for it when he gets here. True freshman starting, not ideal on the offensive line, but I think Rocco Spindler has the makeup to compete for that. Um, yeah, he'll be competing with a fifth-year senior. That'll you be know, Dur- John Dirksen's oh, oh, oh. a guy that that you know that I liked. I've said it many, many times, but I I I'm thinking that I'm not sure that the Notre Dame coaching staff looks at it the same way. It would fact, I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah. You're pretty, pretty <laughs> sure about that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, and I would say Tom Baker probably goes to right tackle behind Lug to to work a year as a redshirt freshman behind Lug at right tackle. Probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know people talk about Blake that. Fisher. I think Blake Fisher has a has a long way to go. He's got the mass, but he's got a long way to go in terms of physically and emotionally being prepared to play offensive line at, at Notre Dame. I think he's going to be good, but I think he's got – he still has a ways to go. Second part of that question was out of oh, Pine Clark and Buckner, who has the most talented arm? Buckner. Buckner. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much doubt there. I mean, it's definitely not Pine. It better not um, be Yeah, and we're not sure about Clark's health. So they need to bring in – well, we'll get to that. Uh, GWE5, do you think with Austin – Jordan Johnson, Styles, and Colsey. Norday may be on the verge of accumulating enough skill position talent. I mean, if we're going to put in all unknowns, we should add Lindsey. 
because he scored touchdowns in college football. So we should add him to that list, right? Those are all unknown. Yes. You might as well add Lindsay to that list. Uh, that's Avery, Avery Davis, Avery Davis anticipates is, coming back. I, yeah, I, he mentioned once, he said, like, yeah, about coming back. I don't yeah. think it was anything official. It was not an illuminating interview. But uh, I think that uh, it's going to be an interesting year next year because – Development of young receivers, and Kevin Austin is still young. He's the first young senior, Pete. Every time Brian Kelly said young senior, he's an actual young senior. Uh, the development of young receivers is crucial to next year's offense because they're not going to bully everybody up front. Pete, uh, it's it was my understanding that Kevin Austin had surgery yesterday. I Yeah, I, I don't know the date of the surgery. Okay. Um, but I, I <laughs> like the last time Brian Kelly referenced it, it seemed like it was a future tense surgery. Right. It had, yeah. yeah, it had it had not happened. And it's also my understanding that it was Austin's decision to wait to see if they could rehab it. I've never known. Not that I'm I'm, get to that. Not that I'm mm-hmm. well versed on Liz Frank surgeries, but I've never known he's fifth anyone. metatarsal, isn't he? Yeah, he's fifth metatarsal. He's fifth metatarsal. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm confusing yeah. him. I'm sorry. I'm confusing um, with Patterson. Brian Kelly said at some point, and we all glossed over it, whenever Austin was out officially for the year, so it was mid, mid-October, mid right? Um, he said, we'll have to discuss with the family further when surgery will occur. Right. Well, there you go. And he didn't say that because it was going to work out perfectly for him. Right. You know, but there's a there's an aspect to this, too, that is unfortunate and and. This doesn't mean to sound accusatory, but it's also probably part of it. Um, he also might want to play to get a little bit more tape on himself, Kevin Austin, to come back at the end of this year. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's still not a good career move. No, no. Either way, it's a bad career move. But, I mean, if you're looking into somebody's intentions. I mean, by, you know, Bonzi Colson, he, right. that's the only one that I'm really, really familiar with, and they had to put a screw in there. Well, how's that going to heal? I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but I, I don't – you know, on the surface, I don't think that that was a great decision. And so now he's now the rehab really starts. I'll underscore never tweet any word on potential QB targets from the transfer portal. Well, I, you know, Jack, uh, Jack Cohn, I mean, I, I think Tom Loy has said that that's a possibility. He's prepared um, for that possibility to happen. Does that move the needle for a lot of people? Probably not. But you need another quarterback. You need another quarterback. So it's going to have to be somebody. Pete and I discussed in the airport the other day, uh, Ritter, the quarterback from Cincinnati, would be would be a would be a really nice upgrade. Yeah, I mean Ritter would probably fall more in line in like the Jamie Newman type, where it's like you're trying to find a guy who wants to take up a level, take it up a level, opposed to a guy that got beat out by somebody better. Um, you know, Jack Cohn got beat out by Graham Mertz at Wisconsin. Um I look, I, I think Gilman Jack Cohn was on the roster tomorrow. I would pencil him in to start against Florida State. Um, I think that, that he would be the, the most likely guy to start probably by a long shot in what is going to be, I think, a really weird and funky year where you might see two quarterbacks start or three quarterbacks start. But you got to have somebody in game one that you feel kind of good about. I'm with you, Pete, because uh, that game one's on the road at night in Tallahassee and it's just a little different situation for Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine to make his first start. Right. I mean, yeah. And two quarterbacks starting next year is the safest call we have right now. Yeah. No matter who they sign, that is the safest call we have right now. 
Um, I can't imagine it going the other way. And if you bring in Jack Cohn and Tyler Buckner's better, then fine. Great. That, that, well, that's ideal. Bring in Jack yeah, Cohn and Tyler Buckner's exactly. better. Yes. Yes. That's, yeah. Judge Arthur Vandele, if Tyler Buckner is ready, shouldn't Kelly Reese hand him the keys to the offense next season? I'd rather Andy lose an extra game or two next season if it means Buckner gets invaluable starting experience and can develop into the Heisman caliber QB that is needed to win a national championship. Uh, I mean, the most important part of your question is the first five words, if Tyler Buckner is ready. Um, and then, then the answer is yes. Uh, like, I'm not all for putting him out there if he's not ready, just to give him experience, um, especially if you're losing games, because people lose jobs when you lose games. Um, but if you think that he's ready, you got to get that cycle going. And you know, public opinion will determine whether he's ready or not. You know, I mean, yeah, just ask Jordan Johnson how that works. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I don't know what, I, I mean, I, I could, I could, if you ask me to write a story to argue right now that take Tyler Buckner and put him in the starting lineup next year, I think I could be fairly persuasive at, at doing that, but I think that he should have some competition for the job. I don't think Drew Pine is, I'm just very concerned about his size. Um, but you have to have somebody. You have to bring in somebody. And if it's Jack Cohn, that's fine. If it's Desmond Renner from uh, Cincinnati, that's even better. Denver Maximus, what gives, what gives in the secondary for the future outside of Kyle Hamilton? The lack of playmakers and athleticism in the back end was glaringly obvious against Alabama. Has player evaluation been that bad with Rutherford, Brown, and Wallace, or is it a lack of player development or both? All of the above. I mean, it's like, I don't think recruiting has been good. Um, you know, development, uh, with Clarence Lewis, I think was, was quite good. Um, you know, you got a tip of the cap there, but I think that when they moved Sean Crawford to safety after two ACLs and Achilles, a dislocated elbow and whatever he was playing through this year, it was just not a really good sign about what they had recruited, who they had developed. Um, at the safety spot. So it's, and now with Houston Griffith reportedly in the transfer portal, I mean, this is, this is a guy that could have started for you. Um, and that, I mean, that doesn't even get to the Isaiah prior grad transfer. Um, like the misevaluation of that, because you took him as a safety and now he's a backup outside linebacker. So it's, I don't know. I, that's, I, like I said, all of you up on this. Yeah. The, um, the starting safeties next year should be Kyle Hamilton and a grad transfer. And the starting corners next year should be Clarence Lewis and a grad transfer. And then you can develop your freshman, hopefully Ramon Henderson. And uh, I don't know what they have in Tariq Bracey. Um, they do not believe in Tariq Bracey at present, right? So they're going to have to completely reconstruct Tariq Bracey's mind to play cornerback. Don't you believe a grad transfer has to start in the secondary next year? And two would be ideal. No, I think, I think your scenario with two is, is absolutely right. I, I, the the Tariq Bracey thing is is disappointing. Now look, Mike Mike Mickens developed Clarence Lewis. I know a lot of people are down on Clarence Lewis now, but he's got a chance to be fine. He was a yeah. true freshman. Just stop playing against Devonta Smith and Clarence Lewis will yeah. be fine. Yeah, exactly. But you know, Tariq Bracey, I, I, that was a kid that I, I he showed all the ability to defend one on one press in high school, and. You know, he should he should not be where he is right now, but he is. So 
Tim, I agree. You have to do whatever you have to do. Um, you need a starting safety and you need a starting corner. Absolutely. Punk for Hagen. What with what is on the Indy roster now? When will Andy be back in the playoffs and can we actually compete? What will be the weakness and strength as you see them develop based on recruiting? I can't judge whether Notre Dame can compete in a, the next time they get in the playoffs because there's 8 million things that happen before then. But um, I don't think it's going to happen next year, and the schedule would dictate it. It's going to be very difficult the year after that unless you beat one of the two big boys in Ohio State and Clemson and win all the rest of them, which is not as easy as maybe it has kind of been made to look here in the last couple of years. But um, so 2023, yeah. without knowing any personnel of anybody at this point, uh, you know, 2022, I think is reasonable. Um, I think you, you, op- you open at Ohio State. Let's just say they open at Ohio State, lose that, run the table from there. Um, it's not Whew. totally unreasonable. I mean, look, it's, you have to beat the pl- if you're going to make the playoff, you have to beat a really good team. Um, yeah. So. Clemson at home in November um, <laughs> with, I don't know, maybe third year starting or no, it'd be second year starting quarterback, Tyler Buckner, an offensive line that returns a ton second year for Marcus Freeman on the defensive quarterback. For those, of us, for those of us, yeah. I mean, for those of us that do this for a living, these, these questions years in advance, I, there are so many moving parts I am positive the offensive line will be better in 2023 than they are in 2021. I, am <laughs> I agree with you. positive no matter what happens. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I just feel like that. I think the, the healthy perspective for a Notre Dame fan here is next year is the first year of probably a three-year cycle. Right. Um, in the same way that 2017 maybe felt like the beginning of a new cycle, even though it had McGlinchey and Nelson on it. Um, you know, there's, you could see a lot of the younger talent starting to come on um, maybe a year or I don't know. I, I'm kind of, that's I back up from that, but like, I just think that next year is the beginning of a three-year cycle. Um, maybe they'll make it the playoff in year two. Maybe they'll make it in year three. Maybe they won't make it in either. Maybe they'll make it in both. But I think next year is like, you're really laying a big foundation next year uh, in 2021. And then from there, Maybe bigger and better things are to come. CMU, go ahead, Tim. CMU Pens fan, whose development is more important in 2021? Isaiah Foskey, Tariq Bracey, DJ Brown, or Jordan Johnson? Not Bracey or Brown, because that is reserve development, I think. Not Johnson, because no, they have uh, other guys they could put in those positions. They don't right. have anybody else like yeah. Isaiah Foskey. Foskey's the most important, and I think Jordan Johnson's easily number two out of, out of those four as well. Yes, um, I agree. Because you need something out of him. You can't let that go away and, and not work out. And let's be fair. If Jordan Johnson doesn't develop and play next year, we're just not going to see Jordan Johnson playing for Notre Dame as a junior probably either. That's just – right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no – there's nothing in – he's just competing against his peers. He's got to get out there and play next year. But Isaiah Foskey has to be really good next year. That's a good – that's a good way of putting it. I agree with that. And not the other two. No, well, I mean, you know, I, yeah, the the route to go is grad transfer two guys in the secondary. Yeah, you 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 have to. They went four snaps as DJ Brown in the Alabama game. That's what you need to know. I mean, that's and zero for Bracy. That's what you're looking at, right? Yeah, but when's the last time Bracy played? Yeah, if it had to be Syracuse, it wasn't Clemson. 
I'm sure he got in against Syracuse. Yeah, yeah, he but did. I didn't play play. He did on the 80 yard touchdown run, yeah. right? Yeah, between oh, him and Houston. That's Griffin, right. right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And let me, I, I made a snide remark about Dalen Hayes. His matchup on Sat on Friday was that was a no-win situation for him. He's been a he's been a great captain, a leader, and a great soldier for Notre Dame football. And I, that was that was too snarky on my part. Dashing Domer, is there any danger in overcompensating? based on what we saw in Dallas. Clearly the game was lost by the disparity on the perimeter, but ND held their own in the trenches. Can frustration about how far there is still to go persuade BK and company to abandon what got them here? It seemed like we were setting into a style that fit the program. I, I don't think anything changes. You just got to be better at your skill positions. Uh, you know, and are you going to use as much 13 per 12 and 13 personnel as you did this year? Maybe not, maybe not as much depending upon how your roster shakes out moving forward, but no, I no, I think it's a I think it's a good good system and a good philosophy. Just get better skill position athletes at at, you know, at wide receiver. That's I mean, look back at Alabama in 2012. They had freshman Amari Cooper um, when they were just bludgeoning people over the head with their running game. Then just chuck the ball deep to them. Like you guys were around, you covered the Holtz era. Like they didn't throw the ball to Rocket Ishmael very much, but it was nice to have out there when you did. Um like that would that would just change the entire dynamic of Notre Dame's offense if they had receivers that another defensive coordinator had to respect getting behind them. Um, and quarterback, to be fair, I mean Ian Book was very good, but let's look at the four. Let's look at the four quarterbacks in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a well, different. The three are playing. I mean, Fields and Lawrence are playing a different sport with arm talent than Ian Book. And Mac Jones is Mac Jones made the most out of everything he possibly had at at the end of his career, and Ian Book does not. Oh, the accuracy and confidence of Mac Jones. Well, look at the quarter. Go add 2018 with Tua and uh, Kyler Murray. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. no, that's right. It, it's <laughs> not a shot against Ian Book. It's a different level of. No, play. Ian Book maximized. Oh, yeah. Ian, we always say this don't be mad at Ian Book. Be, be mad at Brian Kelly and the coaching staff. Ian Book maximized everything yeah. that he had. I don't know why he couldn't pull the trigger on a few more deep balls. I don't understand. When you when you add everything up, Ian Book gave you more than you ever could have imagined from a three star undersized, smaller you know three star quarterback. All right, last question, uh, and it's a combination one from Irish B. Early predictions for next year seems like nine and three, but their schedule is pretty weak. And then Brian Milam, nineteen seventy three. It's obvious that twenty twenty one is going to be a rebuilding year for Brian Kelly, but does the rebuild look like eight and four? or 10 and two. And we have the schedule here right in front of us. And let me read it out real quickly at Florida state, Toledo, Purdue, then Wisconsin and Chicago, Cincinnati at Virginia tech. There's a bye followed by USC, North Carolina, Navy. And then they close at Virginia, Georgia tech at Stanford. I think a lot of it depends on how they start that first game. Gonna come out of Cincinnati four and one. Who are they losing to? I'm just giving you a loss. Wisconsin, yeah, okay. Cincinnati four and one. Wisconsin, Cincinnati at Florida State. Do you come out four and one? Uh, I mean, you could be five and zero. Oh, right. Yeah, point. I could. Uh, I'm, you, I'm saying you, that's. You, do you do you find your way out of that? Like that means a lot going in. If you're five and zero, oh, you're a ten and two team for sure. Right. All right. As I'm looking through the schedule. Um, 
I'm going to contradict something that I said I would never contradict. It is the kind of schedule and the kind of team where Notre Dame would be better off playing in a New Year's Six game than making the playoff. Because I think that next year's team, what, whatever the record is, you're building a foundation for something like above and beyond that. Um, they don't have the horses next year to, to actually go above and beyond, to skip like two steps and get there. Um, so, I mean, but you look at the schedule, 10 and two seems really realistic, even though the roster itself. Right. I, that's they, why would they went 10 and two in 2015 as well. That's crazy. And when you, and they might go 10 and two in 2022 when everybody on the team is better. Right. right. I, I mean, just, they probably will go 10 and two in 2022 when everybody on the team is better. I just think that, look, we're sitting here on January 4th and we're projecting how good these 12 teams are. Yeah. But we really no, have no Ohio state or Clemson. Or no, I no, I get that. But, but I mean, to assume that going to Florida state's a walk to assume no, I, that, that because Wisconsin was three and three this year, that you're going to beat them to assume that you're going to beat Cincinnati because, well, they're just Cincinnati to assume you're going to Virginia tech and you're going to win USC at home and improving North Carolina with Mac Jones. You have the deal with the problems that Navy causes you. Virginia's going to be better. They're well coached, and that's on the road. Georgia Tech's going to be better. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can't. Yeah, Mac, I, Mac I, Jones I, really was a coach on the field. He's going to take <laughs> Mac Jones. Mac Jones. And Mac Brown's a hell of a quarterback for Alabama, too. If, uh, I'll tell you this, Tim. If uh, For the final shot of, the, uh, of this broadcast, if they go to Virginia Tech and they're ranked, they're guaranteed a victory. They don't beat anybody ranked at Virginia Tech anymore. <laughs> walk in there and win the game. <laughs> like coming to the Purcell Pavilion if you're ranked. Pete and I were talking about this, and Pete was the first one to say it in the airport the other day, that this, you know, because of the makeup of your team, because of everybody that you lose, you know, that this would be the year where Kelly's streak against unranked teams would uh, would fall. Yeah, I, I just, man, I can't take it. I can't, I just, I can't take for granted wins when you don't know the makeup of these teams and how much they're going to improve. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to predict the team that they're going to lose to that's unranked uh, probably the Friday before the game. I wouldn't predict it, um, <laughs> let alone on January 4th, but it's uh, I just think that next, next year and this spring in particular are going to be fascinating and fun to cover. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all fit all the pieces come back together next year. Who's putting them together. You know, this, I feel like this year's team, you sort of knew what it was going to be before it even started. And it was exactly what you thought. Um, I love to sort of be surprised along the way. Uh, and I think this, this year's team is going to have a ton of surprises. I'd just like to point out, cause I'll never be able to do this again for the rest of my life. But the final Monday musing prediction of August was Notre Dame will go 10 and 0, lose to Clemson. And if they make the playoffs, they'll finish 10 and 2. And if they go to the New Year's 6, they'll finish 11 and 1. There you go. It was the easiest year to look at in terms of look how good Notre Dame is. Oh, but look at Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Exactly. Exactly. That's why you had to beat Clemson the second time. So, yes. Well, although although they would have played Ohio State, and that may not have worked out really really well. But the one thing that I, I can almost promise you that we can't answer is the timetable of hirings of defensive coordinators. We can't. We can't answer timetables. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I've ever been able to answer a timetable 
about a hiring. You're pretty good on Kelly, I think. Huh? You're pretty good on Kelly, right? I'm not saying he's doing anything wrong. I just no, no. You were pretty good on hiring the hiring. Pretty good on hiring a Kelly. Well, we Irish Illustrated did have that two weeks in advance. That was like twelve years ago. It's good streak. Yeah, and I sure, I'm sure I'm glad that that hit because boy, that would have been embarrassing. Hey, it's been a great year, and we appreciate everybody joining us. Not exactly sure when we'll get back at this, but there's certainly going to be a lot happening on Irish Illustrated with players staying, players going, and coaches going, and some coming in. So we will keep you uh, keep you abreast on that situation as we move uh, forward. Thanks for joining us on Irish Illustrated Insider.